It's about that time to grab your favorite snack and sit back and relax because you are now listening to the Movie Time Podcast with your hosts, low-key geek Renee Zalata and Blake the Wolf. Take it away, boys. of movie time this uh episode is probably coming in a week late mainly because of some scheduling stuff but something more of like a heads up for the next couple of weeks uh my buddy blake partner movie bro here on the movie time podcast is actually going on vacation he will be spending some time in cuba in good old cuba and uh you know, so it's just going to be me. It's just going to be me solo for a, a bit. But I did get the chance to record one other episode with him. Um, but it's an episode where we kind of we're, we're we're testing a new kind of segment, maybe sub show, sub podcast, where we just go back in time and celebrate what I like to call the filmversaries of movies that are celebrating 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, so on and so forth and all that. Um, we go back, we rewatch them, and, uh, you know, we kind of see what we feel about those movies, especially compared to how we first uh, felt about them the first time we saw them. So uh, we recorded an episode where we rewatched two things, and it's kind of timely because... You know, with the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon going on right now, and Barbie and Oppenheimer are crushing it, continue to crush it at the box office, um, even so many weeks after their release. Uh, it was perfect timing that uh, both Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan are celebrating filmversaries. One, Greta Gerwig is celebrating 10 years of Francis Ha since. Her acting in Francis Ha debuted uh, on screen. And uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, uh, celebrating 15 years. So we kind of rewatched those and we talked about each movie uh, in another episode. So that episode will be uploaded uh, next week. Uh, so that will be the episode there. And this is something that we're probably going to try to do every month. Uh, especially during the weeks where maybe there aren't any major releases or maybe Blake and I, we didn't have a chance to watch any of the movies or maybe one of us watched a movie and the other one didn't. So this will be a great way to kind of make sure that we have something going on and something we could talk about to kind of still maintain that this is still a movie discussion, movie review podcast. And hopefully you will enjoy the things that we talk about and, you know, relive some of the filmversaries of movies that maybe you enjoyed as well. Uh, maybe haven't seen in a bit and how it really stacks up from when you originally saw it to what you think of it now uh, after rewatching it. So we had a lot of fun doing that. So stay tuned for next week for that. Uh, but before I go into some of the things I want to talk about today... It's just going to be me, so I'm going to have a chance to finally talk about some movies that I did get to see that I know for a fact Blake didn't get to see. So I'm just going to kind of quickly go through some, uh, you know, reviews of some movies that I watched recently. 
that I haven't been able to talk about yet here on the channel. Um, but before I do all that, obviously, if you like what you see, you know, here, if you're watching the clip outs on YouTube, then obviously, please feel free, subscribe, follow, um, don't forget to comment, show your support by making sure that the, you spread the word. By spreading the word, all you have to do is like engage, you know, liking, commenting, subscribing. That's what helps shows like this get spread out to other like-minded folks who may be interested in joining this community that we kind of built up. So all that kind of support would be greatly appreciated. And also, don't forget to leave a rating on your podcast platform. I know in Spotify and iTunes, they allow you to rate podcasts. And I know, I'm sure many of you don't realize that that's an option there. But by leaving a rating, that also helps spread awareness and, you know, gets more people uh, in tune with a show like this. That way we can grow this community even more so. And, you know, it helps other possibilities like maybe sponsorships, advertising opportunities, and all that. Uh, you hear some of the affiliates that I talk about throughout these episodes, and those are made possible because of how well we are growing the fan base and the channel. So all you, the support you could show and the love you could show is greatly appreciated by all that. And obviously, of course, check out the description where if you want to further help support the channel, check out the affiliates that we partnered up with. Um, and check out the new merch store, too, that uh, I launched a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you're into, you know, buying some shirts based off of movie, pop culture, and, you know, just branding of the channel itself. Uh, I'm hoping to get some Movie Time branded merch on there soon. So stay tuned for that. And those are other great ways to help support the channel. And, and like I said before in previous episodes, if you've been following, best way to get Blake a brand new microphone which uh, he desperately needs is to show some love and uh, uh, help you know uh, us raise funds so that we could get Blake uh, a legitimate mic and not having him rely on his laptop mic and all that so uh, that'll be like a great day when we can get that uh, accomplished so alright all that out of the way uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up real quick Something I haven't been able to talk about, and it's already been over a week. I believe it's been over a week. Uh, but the passing of Paul Rubens, Paul Rubens was actually something that I found very surprising and unfortunate. Um, he was a staple of my childhood growing up, as sh and I'm sure many of you are, especially if you are within the same age demographic as I am. Um, Paul Rubens of course, is better known as Pee Wee Herman in the 80s, 90s, for a long time, for most of his career. That is basically what he is known for. But um, it was when I finally came to the realization that Paul Rubens was more than that with other things that I saw him do as far as acting is concerned that made me realize how brilliant of a comedian or comedic actor he is. Um, and it also, I also realized that he had a really, I guess, huge history in improv. You know, that's basically how Pee Wee Herman was formed and formulated and realized because he used to do an improv show in LA, in California. 
uh, called it the Pee Wee Herman Show. Uh, and HBO has this special where they filmed one of the, the stage shows that he did. I'm sure they, they cut a bunch of different stage shows that he put together and made it into one episode. Um, one thing that's also interesting to note about that is um, many, 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 many years later, he brought that back. And I had a chance to actually see it on uh, Broadway, off-Broadway here in New York. And it was so much fun, such a delight. And again, he really excels, not only as the Peter Herman character, but just as a performer. Uh, he always loves mixing his humor with adult sensibilities and innuendos that, you know, kids won't able to be able to catch up on. But it's for the adults, you know, and I always appreciate humor like that. Um, but yeah, it was through this HBO special that I realized, wow, he's really good at improv and really good at stage productions. Um, he did this show with uh, Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman played um, one of the characters on the show. Uh, and this was before Phil Hartman became known for his roles on SNL and then, of course, uh, being a voice actor in The Simpsons and amongst other things like Futurama and all that stuff. So he played Captain Carl, I believe it was. Uh, and it was really, really fascinating that, you know, Paul Rubens was surrounded by so much talent because on the Pee Wee Herman show, you know, unbeknownst to us kids watching it, we were watching uh someone who would eventually become morpheus in the matrix but amongst all, so many other roles that he's played and that's uh Lawrence Fishburne who played uh Cowboy Curtis and it's it's just so interesting to see how Lawrence Fishburne got some of his early starts acting on a kids show that used to show on the Saturday mornings and it was it was very interesting because um you knew you were at the tail end of what is your Saturday morning cartoon fix. The minute Pee Wee Herman, the Pee Wee Herman show came up, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Because Pee Wee's Playhouse usually played on the tail end of that morning. And once that was done, that's when you knew, okay, now I can go on with the rest of my day. Because all the other cartoons I already watched capped it with Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, maybe, depending on the time, uh, you would have capped it off also with Saved by the Bell that kind of fell along the same time frame. Um, and then, you know, that's it. You went out and played or you did whatever you did, uh, hung out with your friends and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, again, realizing how, how good of an actor and how, how many things he's done outside of Pee Wee Herman. I mean, yeah, Pee-wee also had uh, a footnote in cinema because we got uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which was a huge hit in the 80s. It's what helped put Tim Burton on the map. Uh, I believe that was one of Tim Burton's first films, if not his debut. Uh, working with Paul Rubens in the in the Pee-wee Herman movie. Uh, so, and again, that's such a classic movie with so many quotable lines, you know, you know, I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. All that stuff. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman. Oh, I love that scene. It's so good. How you can be uh, someone who's not an actor uh, pretending to not act in a, in a movie. Like, you're an actor 
playing an actor who doesn't know how to act in a movie. <laughs> it's just that's just so many levels of brilliance right there. I, I just think it's so funny. But he, he's done other roles in movies, too. And it, these are some of the things I would have never known if it wasn't if it wasn't for trailers that used to play in front of VHSs, VHS cassettes that I used to rent from like my local video video store, you know. So if you are a younger generation, you probably never experienced this. But again, you're in my generation, you know, when you rented movies, oftentimes they used to play trailers in front of the movies, you know, whether it was on VHS cassette or DVD, there would always be trailers because they're always, you know, on that promotion train to promote what's next. And it was an older comedy that I rented. I forget which one it was, but I saw some trailers of like Cheech and Chong's next movie. And I saw Paul Rubens playing a character on that in that movie. Blues Brothers, he played, a, I believe, a waiter in that movie. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, he's doing all these other roles outside of Pee Wee Herman. Now, mind you, he still looks like Pee Wee because Paul Rubens... And the look of Pee Wee Herman, it's almost one in one, right? Uh, it's kind of hard to separate them because they're just, they just use, he uses his own face. You know, he doesn't really skew away from the look with the exception of, of course, he got his gray suit, the red bow tie. And he has that childish like voice, right? That he has, uh, he implements. But you see like a normal Paul Rubens acting in normal voice. He still looks like Pee Wee Herman, right? It's just really hilarious. Um, but, you know, of course, Pee Wee, I mean, Paul, he came across some controversy, right? And there was a moment where he was blacklisted in the, in the minds of others, of, of people because of his scandal being caught in a, in a X-rated movie theater, you know, uh, I don't need to go more into details about that. You could Google it and all. Uh, but he handled it very well. I mean, I remember when he came, first made a TV appearance after that. It was during the MTV Video Music Awards where he came up on stage as Pee Wee Herman to thunderous applause. I mean, people were supporting him all the time despite being the laughing you know, joke for several years because of being arrested for what he was doing. And one of the first things out of his mouth was, so heard any good jokes lately? And <laughs> oh, that again shows you the brilliance of of Paul and how he can easily poke fun at himself. Um, and then it was years later when um, I believe it was Mystery Man came out and he played a role as one of the heroes there, the spleen, uh, which his super how his superhero powers were flatulence and i thought of course that in its own right was also very hilarious a lot of people also will remember him for his cameo in a batman returns as uh oswald cobblepot's father uh so it was like very very interesting to see him show up like that playing such a like a side character um he he played roles in the movie blow um just to name a few i mean you, you go down his you know filmography he's done so much uh he was also a very prominent voice actor too but you know he also played roles in buffy the vampire slayer the original movie buffy the vampire slayer uh, where he played one of the vampires there um but yeah mystery man uh blow uh 
and then he played again like a lot of voice acting work and all and then he made a triumphant return um as peewee herman in 2016's peewee's big holiday which i believe was a netflix movie um but yeah i mean paul rooms again very much part of my childhood as as part of many others um, and it was kind of uh, unfortunate to hear that he was suffering, uh, battling cancer, pancreatic cancer, I believe, uh, for six years. And he kept it quiet and secret, you know. So uh, he left a great message apologizing for keeping things such a secret. Um, but, you know, it was just very, very touching that he at least was able to say, like, his goodbyes to his fan base and to the audience who grew up knowing him. I mean, to this day, I still say, and I stand by the fact that the Pee Wee Herman's holiday special is one of my all-time favorite holiday specials because it's just how funny and hilarious and how just stupid and silly it is. And again, I love his humor when he can mix in some adult innuendos that only you know us adults can 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 pick up on and kids won't. I think my favorite line from that special is when it starts snowing and he was like, you know, doing the whole peewee flipping out like, oh, it's snowing, it's snowing. And he puts on his outfit and he's running around in the snow and he's just like marveling at like all the snow. And he comes across this little patch of snow. He's like, oh, it's yellow snow. <laughs> just, oh, that part gets me every freaking time you know because again it, it's it's humor that many kids won't pick up on but as an adult you you knew what he was referring to yellow snow so yeah paul rubens rest in peace uh such a talent very young to be going at, i i believe he was 79 or in his 70s i forget the age he he is uh, when he passed on, but yeah, sorely missed. Again, taken away. Uh, we 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 say this a lot to for a lot of people, but taken from us way too soon. Um, yeah, so uh, there you go. Hey everyone, just a quick message here that this episode is brought to you by a new shop that I just launched. That's right, popcotour.shop is a new merch shop where you can not only find Loki Geek and eventually Movie Time merchandise, but you will find merchandise dedicated to some of the biggest things in pop culture at the moment. Whether it's movies, TV, video games, memes, or anything of the like, you'll find some of the homages to some of the biggest things that are happening currently at the time. You also eventually we'll find some cool retro throwbacks in he here and there the shop just launched so bear with me i'm filling in the inventory but you'll find new stuff dropping every week but to help celebrate the launch of this brand new merch shop i'm giving all of you the listeners subscribers here at the low-key geek channel a nice little discount to check it out so if you use the code low-key geek at checkout you'll get yourself a nice little 15 percent discount so definitely check it out this is another great way to help support the channel and show your love and support for everything that we do here but it's also a brand new venture of my own you know just going out into the retail market so any support that you could throw our way would be greatly appreciated so once again that is pop couture p-o-p-c-o-u-t-u-r-e dot shop pop couture dot shop a shop for geeks who are chic um no other easier way to transition out of that. And let's talk about some movies that I've watched recently that I can quickly go over and review. 
Um, one of the movies, uh, and probably I would say, I think it's safe to say that is this is probably going to be one of the last major studio releases of the summer. Um, maybe with the exception of Gran Turismo, because that is tied to the video game franchise and property from Sony. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, um, it's a major, major IP now owned and managed by Nickelodeon. Um, I guess you could kind of consider this to be another reboot, rehash of the franchise. They've gone through so many under the Nickelodeon umbrella. But this time, this movie was uh, written by Seth Rogen. And I said this on my Letterbox review, too. Uh, Seth Rogen really has a pulse in pop culture right now with the things that he's attached to. You know, he's attached to The Boys. He's attached, I believe, to Invincible uh, on Amazon. Uh, you know, he he really loves the nerd culture, and we're starting to see it more and more so, and especially with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Mutant Mayhem, uh, and another animated foray for the Turtles, this time focusing more of them as teens, almost to the point where I would say that they're kind of preteens um, because they're very young and it shows in this movie and it, it really plays out on the, the youth of the Turtles this time around. And it's a different origin type of story, but they did keep some things that if you are fans of the comic book, you will remember a lot of this stuff. Um, so, you know, as with always, as always with like the movie time podcast, it's, we're always going to be spoilers um, because we want to be able to fully talk about movies and all that. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, obviously uh, buyer beware <laughs> uh, because I will be spoiling the movies that I'm going to be talking about here. But the the one thing that I really, really appreciated about this movie was from the beginning when they made it known that it was Baxter Stockman that kind of helped uh, the mutant gene or the mutant uh, ooze that really, really formulated the turtles there. Like he was the one that was responsible for putting that together and all that, uh, which is very, very similar to how it was in the original black and white comic books. Um, and again, kind of paying homage to that, the look and feel of the animation style for this is very much reminiscent of like that indie comic book feel, you know, which is pretty damn awesome um, and refreshing and different. Uh, mixed in with a lot of like the urban street art stylings and graffiti stylings because obviously this place takes place in New York. Um, and I love that look and feel to the movie. It, it, it really, really fit and it worked really well. Um, and, and that's probably the last of the similarities of the original comic book that they have. Um, but again, when I say different type of origin... Master Splinter was not, you know, a karate expert, a kung fu master. He was just your everyday rat in New York that got hit up with this ooze. Uh, of, by the way, brilliantly played by Jackie Chan. He did such a great job with the voice acting in this movie. I, I thought it was so well done. Uh, everyone did. Every did. Everyone did uh, a great job. A great job. John Giancarlo Esposito was Baxter Stockman, which I thought was so good and very fitting as well. Um, and then, you know, as, as Splinter is, you know, growing, 
he comes across the turtles who are also swimming around in these in this ooze. Um, and given the fact that he himself is not a martial arts expert, it was interesting to tell the story on how he came about teaching the turtles the art of karate and, and, and ninjutsu and all that. And that's mainly because his fear of them in the public eye. Um, as with any kids, they wanted to experience how it was to be above ground and not living in the sewers and not, you know, uh, being secluded. They wanted to be a part of, you know, humanity and a part of life and do things that everyone else was doing. Walking around, watching TV, watching a movie, uh, eating food like other people in restaurants or whatever the case is, uh, being able to meet people, have friends. You know, and the first time they tried to do that, all shit broke loose, right? Because, you know, they found out that, oh my God, these are... I loved how they tied it in with the whole Times Square vibe. And, you know, you go to Times Square nowadays and it's very much like uh, like Hollywood. You know, you have a bunch of people in costume trying to take pictures with you and, and get money. And they thought they were them. But then they found out, obviously, that they're not, that they're actually real <laughs> mutated turtles and a rat. And you all know how people feel about rats in New York. So they were shunned and almost, you know, uh, captured and uh, you know all that all that bad stuff. So it, because of that fear, uh, Splinter wanted them to grow up knowing to at least know how to defend themselves. So with the usage of like movies and and TV shows and instructional videos, they learned how to do all of this stuff. Splinter included by just watching stuff and studying that way. And I thought that was a very refreshing take on it, uh, something very different. It, it reminds me of like when I was a kid and I wanted to learn breakdancing and I would rent like these how-to breakdancing videos and I would, you know, practice in the living room. You know, it's just really funny. Like that was such a big thing back then. Yeah, there was how-to instructional videos on a lot of things. And of course, nowadays people will just go to YouTube, right? But I loved how that's how they utilized that format to learn what they learned. And then, you know, the adventure continues on from there, you know. And, of course, as teenagers, they still want to be able to do things. They didn't want to break the rules and all that. There is no real hierarchy yet within the group. But that later comes into fruition the more time the movie goes. Of course, they come across April O'Neil, who's not really a full-time journalist yet. She's going to school, high school. Uh, studying journalism so we get to see the early on stages of that formulating um, and we get to see really the the personalities of the turtles formulating you know obviously donatello is you know the tech nerd and he loves gadgets and you get to see some of the early on stages of that michelangelo is kind of more like the happy-go-lucky dude right and so we get to see that Raphael has always been mr chip on the shoulder kind of uh attitude you know he i love how he out of all the turtles is the bigger one and that could be a part of it too where he is kind of like the the one who stands out the most because he's so big so he kind of has to have like this attitude to compensate for that you know and leonardo is like the the, the goody two-shoes guy the guy who always wants to follow the rules and play by the rules and you see the early on stages of him being a leader right so I, I love how we got to see that being all formulated. Um, and I also love that they didn't re rely on the typical tropes that you would expect from the turtles. There's no shredder here. Nothing. Not until the end 
post credit scenes where we get teased that oh there's this thing lurking in in the in the hearts of the city in the heart of the city that could be a threat and all we see is like a silhouette there's no foot clan there's nothing you know so we are dealing with the repercussions of Baxter's invention right and that's who the turtles meet they meet all the other uh things mutants that were affected by this ooze from Baxter you know a fly got into it and and then now that's what we get he calls himself Superfly right but of course in the cartoons and in the comics Baxter turned into this fly like creature this time it's Superfly this 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 fly that Bax was in Baxter's laboratory you know Bebop and Rocksteady is a result of this creation and they get we get introduced to a slew of characters that were more in the 90s turtles run cartoon wise and, and action figure wise that is also affected by baxter's experiment mondo gecko wingnut uh just to name a few i mean the list goes on and on and they formulated their own kind of group because they obviously feel shunned and they want their own certain place in the world. And they think that by wreaking havoc and turning everyone into mutants like they are, then they will all be equals, right? And of course, the turtles at one point was interested and then find that this isn't the way to go. We need to like be living amongst them and not turning them into us. And that's where the big conflict comes in, you know. But the one thing, I guess the only thing that I will criticize is the fact that uh, towards the end in the third act, you know, you, as you're dealing with the conflict there and everything, it, it you, we get like that kumbaya moment where everyone on the Superfly side eventually sided with the turtle. So everyone became good. And Superfly was the only baddie. So it was all of them versus Superfly, uh, which I thought was kind of a cop out in a way. You know, it, it would have been nice to kind of see like how some were still kind of against the Turtles. And, and then maybe they decide to like just leave, do their own thing and all that. But then now at the end of the movie, everyone's living with the Turtles. So everyone's living together in harmony. The Turtles, Splinter, Gecko, Wingnut, Cowboy, uh, Cowboy. Uh, Bebop and Rocksteady. Did I say Cowboy Bebop before? I'm thinking of the anime. But Bebop and Rocksteady, they're all living in harmony together under one roof. And I thought, come on, that's a little bit. Did we really need that kumbaya moment? But I guess that's really more for the kids, right? And again, that's basically how it strays away from, from the movie there, uh, from the source material, I should say. But yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, they had the big third act moment where Superfly becomes this giant mutation kaiju kind of like a Godzilla thing and they all fight against him and then there's another thing that was kind of like tropey where New York City kind of bands together to um, protect their own so they you know thanks to April's reporting and, and kind of quick viralness I guess people understand that you know the turtles are, are actually good guys and they're just a victim of a circumstance that they were involved in. And they they kind of, you know, band together to help them out to fight against 
the giant mutation of Superfly, and it it just it just was very similar and reminiscent to like Sp- uh, Sam Raimi Spider Man, you know, when everyone was on the bridge and they're throwing bricks at Green Goblin, you know, you mess with one of our own, you mess with all of us, you know, kind of deal like that. And I was, it was kind of cheesy and corny, but again, uh, if you're a kid, that's something that you wouldn't even bat an eye at, right? So yeah, so those are minor criticisms, but overall, the movie was damn entertaining, and I, I found myself really, really enjoying it. And I think the future is bright, if we are to continue on with this version of the turtles, because what I love is that they're still young enough that if treated right, and if Seth Rogen is still going to continue to be a part of this, there is that opportunity to kind of explore the progression of the turtles, the older they get, because the movie ends with them being accepted in the city. So now you have the turtles attending high school, right? You know, obviously, they're still hanging out with April and everything. Uh, Splinter is found love w- within another of those mutations. And I thought that was like really, really <laughs> funny. But at the same time, gross and all that cringy. And, you know, they got their family, their buddies, you know, Gecko, Wingnut, all that shit. Leatherface uh, or Leatherhead, right? That was a part of it. Uh, Bebop, Rocksteady, they're all there together living in harmony. You know, so uh, and again, we get teased at the end with the silhouette of Shredder as this potential lurking doom that's about to hit the city. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to bring along the Foot Clan with him and all that. But if again, if, if Rogan is going to be deeply involved in this, it would be great to see kind of like that progression as they grow up. And, and I want this. How awesome would it be? If. You know, obviously we'll have time jumps here and there, but we'll see the progression of the the turtles turning into adults, right? Dealing with with adult and mature stuff, maybe getting more serious and more violent or, you know, more treacherous, like based off of the things they have to face. And then leading into a potential The Last Ronin storyline, which I think by far is one of the more, one of the best storylines of the turtles in recent years. Uh, and if you're not familiar with it without, uh, I guess I can't help but spoil it, but you know, there's a storyline where all the turtles die with the exception of Raphael and he has to live on as being the lone survivor living in like a, a future iteration of, of the world and all that. And it's such a great storyline. I highly recommend it because it's something that's very different and very mature too. Um, but if, if, they could carry on with this type of trajectory. I think that would be amazing. You know, do we need another movie? I, I wouldn't mind it. Would this be better suited as maybe a series uh, on on a streaming platform? Uh, I guess this would be Paramount, right? Because it's Viacom. Possibly, I, I could see that uh, working well too. But I definitely would love to see them continue on. With this iteration of the turtles, and I, and I think the future is bright, um, in the, depending who's in, who's involved, uh, because it would be great to see the progression and how they carry on the storylines. You know, obviously the introduction of Shredder, the Foot Clan, um, maybe get some more of the villains um, that we're familiar with, the Rat King. Um, 
you know, maybe team ups. You know, are we going to see Usagi Ojimbo, which I know it, I don't think belongs to the Turtles per se, property wise. I think there's a separate property or license involved in that, but it'll be great to see another iteration of Usagi Ojimbo. You know, Fugitoid. I, I don't think we're going to see that. <laughs> But, you know, I'm just naming characters from the cartoons and from the action figure line. Um, but, yeah, no, it'll just be fun to see where they can go from here. So, so yeah, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. On Letterboxd, I gave it a four out of five. Um, and it was entertaining. Highly recommend it. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, definitely check it out. Um, where does it rank as far as all the other Turtle movies? Uh, pretty high, I would say. And I, I did create a list on Letterboxd. Um, that I'll take a look at right now of how I ranked all the turtle movies. Uh, because, you know, when you look back at it, <laughs> there's, there's a lot, you know, there, ever since we got the original back in, um, in, uh, 90, 1990, my gosh, that's such a long time ago. But the way I would rank it is number one is the original 1990 live action, uh, the reason why that still ranks so high for me is because, yes, it does uh, capture the, the essence of what kids were used to of the Turtles at the time, stuff from the comic books, um, the Archie comic books, and the cartoon series, but it really had a lot of roots from the black and white comic books, as far as, and also like the tone and the, green, the grittiness of it all. Um, and I think they did such a great job blending all of that together. Um, plus, it's all practical effects, too, which is fascinating. And, yeah, you watch it now it's, and you can laugh at it. But I, I think it, it, for me personally, it holds up as far as story is concerned. Um, you know, if you, get, if you could get past all of the kind of cheesiness, cheesiness sometimes... Um, because of the iteration of the turtles, then I I, I would say that this this still holds up for me. Number two would be this new one, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Uh, I ranked this as number two. Number three, and I think this is highly underrated. I don't hear enough people talk about this movie at all, and that is the 2007 and CG animated turtles movie, TMNT. Uh, I believe the company that put this together was Magi or Magi, Magi. I, I forget how you, how to pronounce it. Uh, they were on a run of putting together a lot of these CG animated movies together. And I love the story in this movie because it, it was a, a pure sequel to a lot of the canon that we're familiar with as far as the live action Turtles movies are concerned. But it gave us one of those moments that we've been dying to see for the longest time, and that was the conflict between Leonardo and Raphael. And we, we've seen this in the original comic books. We've seen this in comics and all that. We never really got to see this in cartoon form, but we finally got it. And they had like a huge, huge conflict and blowout. You know, and, and then obviously things were solved and, and all that. But we got to see what it would be like if Raphael went on his own. And, and again, one of the reasons why the, the Ronin storyline in the comic books is so good right now. Uh, or or for, what it, for what they put out there. Um, 
yeah, I, I really, really love this movie, and I, I think it should get more attention for sure. Number four is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. Eh. The reason why I put it there is because it's much better than the Michael Bay shit that we got, which ranks five and six. And that's, you know, the, the Bay, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then the second, the sequel, Out of the Shadows. These, these movies were just horrific. I, I don't know. I, I look, I understand they wanted to do something different with the turtles here and make them a little bit more realistic, but you don't have to do that. This was, these movies were just terrible. And then lastly is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Uh, this is when the Turtles franchise was already, they, it's past its prime. And they were just trying to milk the cow at this point. And it was just very campy. Once you introduce time time travel and time jumping and all that, that's when you know a franchise is desperate. And I'm not talking about the MCU, <laughs> but I guess there could be parallels to that. Uh, or DC, right? Once you start introducing like multiverses and all that shit. Uh, but this movie just wasn't good. It just wasn't good at all. You know, when you find the turtles back in like samurai time, I, I just think, you know, all right, it's jumped the shark at this point. But yeah, so that's my ranking of the turtle films right there. But yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend you watching Mutant Mayhem if you haven't done so yet. Hey, no, I'm not Ryan Reynolds, but I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with the Mint Mobile ads that he puts out there, whether it's on TV, uh, YouTube, social media, or what have you. And I'm sure a lot of you are very, you know, wondering, are wondering and very skeptical that how good is Mint Mobile? Is it really worth all the hype and all the, you know, huge discounts every month and, and all the promotions and stuff like that? Well, I was very much like you. And late last year, I decided to take the plunge and try it out myself because I was honestly tired of paying so much money every month on my cell phone bill. I was a huge long-term Verizon um, customer and I was paying $80 a month on my cell phone bill, which is ridiculous. Even given now, given the fact that, you know, I'm not really working a regular job like I used to. So saving money is important to me. But of course, I don't want to sacrifice quality in my cell service, uh, especially when it comes to data and all that. So I decided to give it a shot. And I have to say, I am extremely pleased with the service I'm getting. I haven't noticed any drop in quality. And, you know, for what I'm paying, I feel like I'm definitely getting more bang for my buck. And I want to be able to share that experience with you so that if you're in the same boat as I was, maybe it's time for you to give it a shot yourself. And right now they have this amazing offer where you can uh, sign up for them and you will be able to get three months unlimited data for $15 a month for your first three months. I mean, that is an insane discount. Um, and I highly recommend you check it out and try it for yourself if you're looking for a change. Um, switching over from your um, cell you know, service is not going to be difficult. It was, I did it in like it didn't take a long at all to do it uh as soon as i got the kit and my sim card in the mail i was able to switch it out and bing bang boom all said and done 
if you're looking for a new phone and you're happy to maybe eyeing one of those new Google Pixel phones, they have a special offer where you could save $200 on a brand new phone and receive six months of free service when you purchase a device and six months of service. So right now, I think it's a good time more than any to give this a shot for yourself. So check out the link I have specially uh, provided for you in the description of this video, uh, this episode here. And uh, give Mint Mobile a shot. And uh, if you do, let me know what you think about it because I was, again, pleasantly surprised and very happy with how everything turned out. But I think overall, I'm just happy to be saving a lot of money every month on my cell phone bill. And I think you'll be happy too. So Mint Mobile, check out the link in the description. And thanks for checking them out. Thanks, Mint Mobile. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. But before we continue, I wanted to quickly talk about Bulletproof Coffee. Bulletproof Coffee is my favorite coffee of choice to start off my mornings with. Why? Because it's clean coffee. What does that mean? Well, one, there are no chemicals in it. Why? Because they go through this multi-step process of making sure that all of their beans are fully clean and free of any chemicals so that when you get the beans delivered to you, it is the pure beans, the pure coffee, the goodness that you've been wanting, the taste, the flavor, and the nutritional value as well without worrying about any added chemicals or anything else put into the mix there. Um, it also doesn't have that weird acidic taste that some coffees give you. I don't know how about you, but for me, some coffees kind of give me that weird sensation in my stomach, makes me a little burpy, and it kind of drags me down a little bit instead of really waking me up, uh, which is something that I need for my coffee every day. Bulletproof also offers a lot of keto-friendly snacks and supplements, anything that you need to kind of add to your everyday nutritional needs, add to your diet, and make you and pretty much transforms the way you feel uh, every day. So uh, for a limited time, if you use this code on that you see on the screen right now, LOWKEYGEEK, all caps, one word, you can get 15% off your order. So what what is it better than that, right? Check out the link in the description of this episode. Use this code, get yourself your discount, and make your mornings a little bit more bulletproof with Bulletproof Coffee. Now, back to the episode. Next movie I wanted to talk about is Jules. Jules is a new movie that came out this week. Um, when, I, when I'm recording this, I'm recording this on the 12th of August. Um, and it's this small independent movie with Sir uh, ben Kingsley takes place in a small Pennsylvania town uh, where you could tell it's one of those towns that really have a high senior citizen community and uh, the younger generation that is running the city you could tell that they don't really give enough respect or pay much attention to the seniors living in the town but the, the seniors are, are trying their best to be a part of the town and implement stuff that will make things easier for them and all that. Um, but most of the time they're not paid attention to and they're very individual, individualistic. You know, not a lot of the seniors hang out together. They're kind of their own thing and all that. Sir Ben Kingsley is dealing with early stages of Alzheimer's from what it appears. So he's being very forgetful and all that. And then one day a UFO crashes in his backyard, Right. And uh, it's it's kind of timely 
with all the UFO or UAP talk going on right now and government hearings about aliens and foreign aircraft and how that's such a huge topic right now. So it's it's very timely that a movie like this comes out because the main part of this movie is not so much the alien that comes out of this ship, but it's the bond that this alien forces these characters to build together. You know, it, it's kind of, it's like the alien is the MacGuffin here where it allows the character that Ben Kingsley plays and then uh, Jane Curtin, who's also in this movie, and I, I forget the other actress's name, but it forces them to bond together as a community and finally have that voice that they've you know been missing this whole time um and you know it it's so it turned out to be this very sweet and emotional storyline you know where this foreign being who's not part of this world who doesn't have a lick of dialogue at all forcing these people to communicate not only communicate with it but teach teach it how to be human or how it is to be human or what what they like at the same time making them realize what who they are who they love what they care about how they want to spend their life and and you know spread you know, compassion and empathy around in the town that they live in. Uh, all through, all due to the thanks of this one particular alien that, again, no no lick of dialogue, but the expression on the alien's face, the eyes, the common theme was that, I, I don't know if you understand me, but your eyes are so understanding. Like, you hear me. You, you, you listen to me. And you're paying attention, and this is something that all th you know three main characters were were missing, and it's it it kind of tells a telling story of what is also going on in society today, and for a while, where the senior community is often forgotten and not paid attention to, and overlooked. You know, you see that in their weekly town meeting, where. You know, one of them proposes uh, a program where they want to meet and pair young people with older people so that the older people can pass on their knowledge to the younger folk, the younger generation. Because the younger generation, they don't show that interest and all that. You know, Ben King's the character. All he cares about is the motto of the town where he, have this, he has this running thing where it's like, you know, I don't like that fact that we call it it's it's a place to call home because it confuses people in thinking that you're going to call home from a telephone from here. It should be a place we refer to as home. Uh, you know, it's just it's the the play on wording is, is so funny there. You know, it's so interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it ended up being this very very sweet movie, and it's an independent film, and I I'm a huge supporter of indie films, and a film like this will not get attention usually in the theaters. Uh, it's always going to be overlooked because it's also not like one of your grand scale Hollywood type of productions, right? 
you don't go to a movie like this looking for the special effects, looking for like kind of like big bombastic storylines. I mean, this is a heartwarming, charming type of movie and story that really gets you in the feels, you know, and it, 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 it touched, it was very touching, you know, and it again, I was not expecting it. And I was lucky enough to watch it in a screening at uh, MOMI, Museum of Moving Image. Uh, and uh, Mike Turtletob. Is it Turtletob? Turtle... Uh, I, I, I'm so bad when it comes to names. Um, but uh, hold on. I, 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 I want to give its due to the proper director's name. Uh, Mark Turtle... Yeah, Turtletob. I, I don't know why. It just felt weird coming out of my mouth. Um, he had a chance to be there and he talked about the movie and all that. And a lot of the things that I'm kind of putting out there, he said exactly the same thing. The thing that, you know, attracted to him about this movie is that, again, it's giving a voice to those who didn't have one before. And unfortunately, that is the senior community in most places that you go to. And because of this one being, it it allowed them to finally get that. It allowed them to be heard, whether it's from this alien or people around them. And it, it, it left long-lasting bond and friendship amongst the three characters here that bonded over this event, um, which I thought was extremely, extremely sweet and all that. And um, there was this one thing where it, it got dark, like really quick, where the the, the lady who wanted to build that program, you know, met up with a young person. The person, uh, unfortunately, was not interested in learning from her and was interested in just robbing her. And when she found out, he attempted to kill her. And the alien, because of the bond that they have, saw it and felt it happening. And and through his own telekinesis, exploded the dude's head. Uh, which led to this very comical moment where she, she's being interrogated by the police. And it's like, so you're saying that all of a sudden his head just exploded and she's just there like in shock, like, yeah. <laughs> and there was like no rhyme or reason why it happened. And then she realized, oh my God, the alien who they named Jules because it felt right to give him a name saved her. And, and again, that's what created more of a bond and and more of a, you know, again, it made it made her realize, and I'm sure a lot of people will see this. That if it wasn't for that person, I would have been dead, and honestly, probably no one would have ever known. So it's like a second chance at being able to do something for themselves, and and live life. And it was that moment where she wanted to really help this alien accomplish what they wanted to accomplish and that was to finally fix their ship and and go back home you know and you know you had a lot of moments where it felt like et in a way i don't know what the deal is with the cats there's this weird thing about cats in the movie where the alien needed cats in order to formulate and create this special crystal that acted as fuel for his ship which was so out of nowhere and so so like far-fetched and even when someone asked mark about it he's like i don't know that's how the writer wrote it 
And I didn't even bother asking about it. It was just so bizarre and weird. And it just felt like it fit. And that was it. And, and not saying that they had to kill the cats. Oh, it's funny. It kind of feels like Alf. You know how Alf had this thing about cats? But Alf wanted to eat the cats, right? This alien didn't want to eat the cats. And he didn't want to kill the cats. But he somehow just needed cats for fuel. So what they did is that they would just go around looking for roadkill cats and put them together. And there was this one very unfortunate sweet moment where Jane Curtin's character, her cat is is pretty much suffering. Blind, medical problems, all that stuff. Basically on on its way out. And she she sacrifices the cat because it was the one last cat that the alien needed. And the alien, you know, the cat wasn't dead yet, obviously. So the alien, through his telekinetic powers, allowed the cat to go peacefully. And that was like a very sweet moment. I'll, I'll, you know, albeit a bizarre one. But yeah, that was like a really, really interesting moment there. Um, but yeah, it was a, just a very, very sweet story. And at the end, you know, Ben Kingsley's character, we could see fast forward. He is now unfortunately in like in a nursing home because his his thing, his condition is really bad now, but they're all still friends and they're all just hanging out, you know. And they still talk about Jules and like you think Jules remembers us, you know, and you know they're like of course he remembers us, you know, kind of like uh it, it's almost like it runs parallel to like. Does Ben's character remember him because of his, you know, his his condition? And I love that there's a moment at the end where Ben is just sitting there. And then you just see a flash of light and you hear sound in the window. And of course, you know, oh, Jules is back. And, and Ben looks out the window and he has this giant smile on his face. And that's how the movie ends. And it's so sweet. Very touching. So, yeah, I really, really dug this movie. Again, surprising. So I gave it four out of five stars on Letterboxd. Very, very surprised by it. And, and I, I, I'm sure many of you will not see this in theaters, but once it is available on streaming or what have you, I, I encourage you to check it out because it, it is, these are the types of movies that need more attention. It's an indie film, but it's a film that has a great story and great writing and great acting. You know, so as... We're seeing, you know, with all the strikes happening, the writers, the actors striking against these big studios who don't want to pay them any money, yet they're reaping all the benefits and all that. It's studios and independent films like this that need that attention. We should be giving the, like this more money because, you know, it deserves it because of the type of quality that we get instead of like the type of quality that we would get in a given year from a lot of these studios, right? So... So that's Jules right there. I really, really loved it. The last thing I'm going to talk about, and it's a movie that hasn't come out yet. Um, so, But I had a chance to uh, check out an early screening of it, and that is Strays, um, a movie that's going to be coming out very soon. It's uh, one of those uh, pet movies, you know, those talking dog movies. Um, it, it feels like... Uh, there was a time where every year we we got a movie like this, whether it was like Dog's Journey, Marley and Me, A Dog's Purpose, you know. And and I'll get more into that um, the the, uh, the more I talk about this movie. But this is a movie that definitely parodies that, 
You know, you have the voice acting of Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx as the two main leads here. Um, Isla Fisher plays another dog there. And then there's a lot of other like brilliant actors who who lend their voices uh, throughout the movie. And the big thing I, I I I tagged my review with on Letterboxd was like this is no homeward bound because it's not. It's the best way I would describe this is, and a lot of you people who are fans of um, watching pet videos on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff, you know you 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 watch those cat videos or those dog videos and sometimes and it's a very popular thing where a dog is doing something and then you'll have someone voice over the thoughts of the dog as if pretending this is what the dog's saying or this is what the dog's thinking add a bunch of cursing and lewd behavior and and uh absurd sexual stuff and everything you add all that and mix it together and this is the movie you get this is strays uh, so it's a very interesting premise and yeah, it, it was funny at times and then at times it was all right. The gimmick is kind of getting old, but it's interesting because they hit you up with the, the, with the, the gimmick early on and how this is not your typical, uh, dog movie, you know, and all that. And then you get a series of absurd stuff that happens. And then it gets to the point where, okay, this is the charm is wearing off. And then they hit you with something even more absurd again that kind of brings you back into it, right? And then again, it drags again. And then again, boom, hits you with another crazy absurd thing that gets you back into it. And that's kind of this movie. It's like a roller coaster ride of absurdity and kind of shock factor, right? Will Ferrell, he still plays his his very what he does he does he does what he does well, and he plays kind of like that innocent kid like personality that will have his fits like a spoiled brat that doesn't get what he wants and he starts having his fits. He has that energy and he brings that to this role. Jamie Fox, uh, and again, this is stuff that I've said in my letterbox review. He has a too cool for school attitude and personality, um, but he has a heart. And it comes up every now and then, you know, which is cool. They have a great dynamic together. All four of the dogs are are really, really funny together. And they have great chemistry there. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is, if you are a fan of these dog type movies, and this is going to be a movie that you're going to enjoy. The reason why I say this is a parody of like all those other dog movies that we have or that we've seen before is because they actually make fun and poke at that throughout this movie. They come across this other dog that they call the narrator dog. It's like, oh, no, it's one of them, those narration dogs. And it's a dog looking at his owner meeting a girl for the first time. And the dog is narrating exactly what he's saying. It's like, oh, could this finally be the time where so-and-so finds the love of his life and all that? And, you know, I, I believe it was Will's dog. Is trying to ask him for directions and the dog's not even paying attention because he's so busy and focused narrating on the owner's activities and all that, uh, which is really, really damn funny. It, it was pretty, really funny how they kind of poke fun at that. And then again, in those moments of absurdity that hits you as the dog is narrating, he says along the lines like, 
oh, she seems like such a sweet girl. It's unfortunate that she doesn't realize that my 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 owner is a serial killer <laughs> and he has tons of bodies in the basement. <laughs> or I think it was in the fridge or something like that. <laughs> and I just couldn't stop laughing because, again, it's just so absurd. But, uh, you know, they play on the parody of those type of movies. And the, the, the epitome of that is Dennis Quaid himself is in this movie. He parodies a version of himself from, what was that, Dog's Purpose or Dog's Journey or, or whatever those movies are. I mean, my God, it was so funny. And, you know, he, he plays like this bird watcher and he's just seeing shit and all that. And he's like, that's some crazy stuff. And I'm Dennis Quaid and I know crazy. <laughs> it was just so funny how they had this one of like the main faces from these type of movies in in the movie that's parroting those type of movies. So yeah, this movie has has bits of brilliance in it. You know, it's just the talking dog thing and the cursing dog thing and all that. You know, th that gimmick does wear out. It does wear off a little bit. Um, and I I noticed during the screening, I, I think it was too much for some people, who I think to be fair, they had no idea what the movie was that they were getting into. They probably never saw a trailer or whatever the case is. And they just got up and left. And I was like, Oh, those poor guys, they probably had no idea what was going to hit them just now. Um, but it was entertaining. You know, it was fun. It had its moments. You know, you, if you've seen the trailer, you know that the whole thing was that, you know, Will's dog is mistreated by its owner because the owner, um, the guy uh, who plays MacGruber from SNL, I forget, I forget the actor's name. Um, the only reason why he has a dog is because he was in a relationship and the girlfriend got the dog. And when they broke up, he kept the dog as a threat. And then she left anyway. And now he's stuck with his dog and he's been trying to get rid of this dog ever since. And it was through the friendships that Will, Will Ferrell's dog has with Jamie Foxx, Isla Fisher, and the other dog. It was through that friendship that he realized, oh my God, you know, I've been abused this whole time. And it's not fair. And I'm going to go back and teach him a lesson. I'm going to bite his freaking dick off, you know, and they were all in for the ride because they're like, that's some crazy shit. Right. And <laughs> the way it climaxed at the end when they busted in through that door, when they finally get at the owner, it's just it was just very comical. It was just pretty damn funny how, you know, that was what this whole thing was leading up to. And it didn't disappoint. It was outrageous. It was outlandish. It was pretty damn funny. Um, it took a while to get there, though. I will say that. It took a while to get there. But when you got there, it, it, it hammered it home big time. And yeah, freaking bit his damn dick off for sure. Um, but yeah, it was funny. I, again, I don't think this is the type of movie that you, you necessarily need to go out in the theaters to go watch. But I, 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 I guarantee you a lot of fans of dogs dog lovers pet lovers there's a huge market and audience for these type of movies you know the reason why i bring up again dog's journey dog's purpose marley and me didn't channing tatum have a dog movie last year or two years ago you know like with a he's like a soldier and this was like a therapy dog or, or something dog or a service dog you know, it didn't make buku bucks, but it did have an audience for it. That's the audience that's going to go out and support this movie for sure. 
I can see it. And, and you know, if they're okay with the profanity and the absurdity and all the sexual ref like references and all that, then they're going to be golden. This is going to be a movie that's going to be perfect for them. Otherwise, this is a movie that I could see hit harder when it's streamed at home, when people finally watch it at home and give it a shot at home. This is a great, hey, I got nothing else to do tonight. Let's go watch a movie. Hey, let's watch this crazy movie. And I, I could see like, you know, people getting a kick and a thrill out of that. You know, um, it's not a family movie. So be mindful of that. Again, lots of cursing, lots of profanity. Good amount of violence, especially towards the end, and a lot of sex stuff. And then, they, you know, of course, they have that moment where they all did mushrooms, which was actually pretty damn funny, too. And which led to, like, a really horrific, violent moment, you know, where they're all on mushrooms and they're all, like, living their best dog lives. And they come across this, like, cave filled with stuffed bunnies, only to later realize when they came to that they were real bunnies and they just kind of massacred a family of bunnies. <laughs> and then they attempted to bury them. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. And the whole thing was like, no one's talking about the bunnies. We don't bring up the bunnies at all. I just thought that was really, really funny and pretty damn hilarious. But yeah, it's a fun thing. I don't think it's going to do that great in theaters, unfortunately. But it was it was fun. It was a, it was a fun time. And, you know, I'm glad I got to see it. Um, it got a decent reception from the screening I, I went to. Uh, but yeah, if that is your bag then why don't you check it out when you want to check it out? Um, if you're tired of watching Barbie and Oppenheimer for the third, fourth, fifth time, you know, try it out. You know, this could be another alternative. The one thing I'll say right now, this is so interesting and I love seeing, is because of Barbie and Oppenheimer, it is reminding people, I think, on how nice it is to go watch movies in the theater again. Uh, I read an article uh, that just dropped this week saying that one out of four people who went to see either Barbie and Oppenheimer, this was their first time back in theaters since COVID. And I'm not surprised by that because I you could you could tell when you see the audiences that I saw going to theaters for the first two weeks, even up to now. I mean, it's not as big as it was the first two weeks, but I'm still seeing a, a significant amount of people than I did about two months ago. They they haven't been to the movies in a while. You know, and it, again, it kind of spawned the reason why Blake and I decided to do our new series about uh, cinema, uh, cinema etiquette. You know, because I, I unfortunately saw a lot of bad behavior because a lot of people are so used to watching movies at home. They forgot how to behave in, in movies and theaters. Um, the theater that I go to. This is now I, I forget when was this uh, maybe a week ago. So much people have gone to that theater because of Barbie and Oppenheimer that their supplies ran out when it came to certain stuff. The straws that they had were not the same straws that they used. So it looks like they had to go to BJ's to get a whole bunch of straws to put in their dispensers. They totally ran out of napkins. So again, it looks like they went on a BJ's run and they were using grocery bought napkins 
that they left the package open by these stands so people can go out and just get napkins. I mean, how crazy is that? They were they ran out of certain candy. The popcorn was different because I think they had to like do something different about their popcorn. Like they ran out of stuff. The cups, I saw they were reusing cups that you know, were branded with movies that came out earlier in the year. <laughs> you know? I just thought it was so fascinating. They were not expecting that huge influx. Or I, I'm sure a lot of theaters weren't. But it's great to see. I will say. It is fantastic to see. And I don't know. It's very doubtful it's going to continue. You know? I, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Uh, I, I think we're pretty much done at the end of the summer. It just occurred to me that, yeah, no, there's Blue Beetle coming out. Outside of Gran Turismo, but I don't think Blue Beetle is going to do a lot. I think it's going to disappoint. It's going to be another DC disappointment, I think. And I can tell that they're trying hard not to make that happen by increasing the amount of screenings that they're putting out there to help spread the word. I think they lifted the review embargo for press who saw screenings or at least social media embargoes. And I'm seeing a lot of positive stuff, but I don't believe it. I feel like they're being told to do that. I don't know. I'm hoping I'm wrong. And I'm hoping it does turn out to be a good movie. But I unfortunately don't have faith in that movie. Uh, I mean, I'll check it out, but it just doesn't look like it's going to be a good movie. I haven't been impressed with the trailers I've seen. And if anything, it feels more like a CW type of production. But we'll see. And, you know, after that, it's going to be quiet. I think movie theaters, are, we're going to get, we're, it's going to return back to how it was before Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbenheimer. And that's going to be sad, you know, especially if these strikes and um, if, if, if the two strikes continue because, you know, actors, they're not going to be allowed to promote their movies for the, the remainder of the year. And we're already seeing that studios are concerned. So there's they're starting to push movies into next year until when they're hoping that the actors can do promotion. You know, Dune's looking like it's going to be pushed to next year. Uh, you know, we got festivals coming up. We've got TIFF coming out, New York Film Festival coming out. And there's a bunch of movies that I'm looking forward to coming out. Um, but I don't think they're going to have anyone up on stage like they usually would. You know, because we've got Scorsese's movie coming out, which I'm so looking forward to. We've got Yorgos Lanthimos' movie coming out that is looking fantastic to me. You know, so we got some decent stuff coming out, you know, so we'll see what happens. But I think, unfortunately, movie theater attendance is going to drop again because there's just nothing, nothing huge to bring them back to the theaters. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think studios moving forward should really consider event event type movies. Maybe that should be more of the focus. You know, create that event environment. That in, that event outing, that Barbie and Oppenheimer organically created because both studios refused to change release dates. So it was social media that created this whole organic event. Penning at Barbenheimer, 
you know, obviously it backfired in Japan, but that wasn't Universal's fault. Uh, whoever, you know, handled Warner Brothers social media marketing in Japan fucked up. They weren't smart about it. But it created this whole event. And I don't think people realize how big of an event it was until they saw saw it that week, opening week, and how droves of people went out to support Barbie and Oppenheimer, both or individually, whether they planned to or not, because maybe they wanted to see Barbie and they couldn't. So they went to see Oppenheimer instead and vice versa. They wanted to see Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter and it's all sold out. So, all right, let's go watch Barbie then. You know, it's Oppenheimer's IMAX contract got extended for until the end of the month because there are still showings of 70 millimeter IMAX that are still sold out in advance because people still want to see it in that format. It's 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 a fun time. It's it's a fun time and people are going to remember this year for that. And maybe again, if if anything that the studios in the industry should learn from this is one people are tired of being uh, fed bullshit movies, property movies, sequels, all that stuff that are just subpar, right? And that that includes your superhero MCU DC stuff, right? They want unique movies, unique stories, unique voices, you know. And I think these two movies prove that. And two, they love to see the competition. Don't shy away from the competition. I remember back in the day when two movies would come out, they call we we all called it counter programming, you know, because there's an audience for one, and then there's an audience for the other. And sometimes you do find audiences that like both, and you're gonna keep them in the theater when both movies are there, you know, and uh, yeah, event. Movies, event outings for movies. I feel like that's going to be something that people should consider and think more about in the future. If we are to save the theater industry, the movie theater industry and cinema. Uh, that and budgets, of course. I think you just lower the budgets of these productions and I think things would be better. And I'll leave, I'll leave you with, with this one last fact before we close out this week's episode. And and think about this. Marvel's Secret Invasion, the Disney Plus freaking disastrous showing that was supposed to be an event, like watch, right? That was supposed to be must-see TV. And it flopped terribly. They The budget for that series alone was, I believe, $250 million for that TV show that flopped and failed miserably. That is slightly that budget is slightly higher than the budget of Barbie and Oppenheimer combined. Wrap your brain around that. I believe Oppenheimer's budget was 150 million and Barbie's budget was 100. Of course you're not included in marketing and all that, but still and look at the quality we got from these two films alone versus that piece of shit that we got on Disney+. Plus. 
And I'll leave it at that. That is, This has been this week's episode of Movie Time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, I apologize that it was just me, but hopefully you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed me talking about these movies that I wanted to talk about. Um, obviously, spread the love. Like, subscribe, share. Again, if you're watching Clubhouse on YouTube, comment. You could comment on on, on podcasts too. Uh, they allow for comments there. We, I may not be able to reply, but I love reading the comments regardless. Um, so definitely show your love and support through that. Uh, and thank you so much for tuning in and for showing all that support. And if you want to help, again, the channel grow even more so and show more of your love and support, check out the affiliates that we have listed in the description of this episode. And check out the new merch shop, popcultour.shop. We've got a nice discount code for you guys to use for the first time of shopping there. 15% off your order. Go there. Check out. Support the channel. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Do something. Would really, really love and appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you. As always. Blake and I, we appreciate you guys. Always. So. All that out of the way. And that's all been said. This has been Movie Time. I've been Renee. Thank you again for tuning in. Stay cool, stay classy, stay safe. I will catch you all in the next one. All right, peace out, y'all. Bye-bye.